Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And today we're going to talk about one of our favorite words, why. Oh, I love why. We here at the Nonprofit Radio Show often encourage you to begin your thinking with why. Why are you doing something? Why is your mission relevant? Why do you hope to build a movement? Our whys are usually focused on you and your organization. But today I want to talk about your donors' whys. This is such a timely topic because I know there's a lot of spring giving campaigns. We used to have Give Big, Washington Gives, you know, Metau Gives. We have lots of giving campaigns that run throughout the year. And so often we just go out and say, hey, donors, give. <laughs> but we got to back, back up a step and really understand uh, their why and why they would ever possibly give to us that we're so often just working hard and that means we just kind of stay in our own shoes and we run as fast as we can. But knowing you, I think we're going to be stepping into somebody else's shoes for a little while, maybe rubbing our feet with a little lavender oil and um, moving forward with a new sense of purpose. Absolutely. And I hope you caught Nancy that I said our donors wise as in plural wise. Oh, that's pretty tricky. That's pretty yeah, tricky. Yeah, it's more yeah, complex than just one reason, huh? Absolutely, because your donors, uh, and hopefully you have more than one donor, <laughs> yes. um, therefore have many more than one reason for giving. Um, and your job as a nonprofit organization working to raise funds to build your movement is to understand those different reasons, meet those people where they are, and then be strategic about how you spend your precious time and resources reaching people. Yeah. And and I think it's important to be clear because there's so many headlines these days about big philanthropy and large scale donors. And, you know, should we name museum wings after the Sacklers and all that jazz? And that's not what we're talking about. We're no. talking about just small nonprofits, everyday donors, you know, people who are living their lives, raising their kids, going to school, whatever, and sending us some donations. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We're going to, we can do a whole nother podcast on um, ethical or unethical fundraising um, practices. Let's just assume for, for this session that the donor pool we're looking at are all ethical givers who share your values. Excellent. Those are the people we love. So, so talk to us, what should we be thinking about? Well, first I have to give credit where credit is due. And the person who got me thinking about the multiple donor wise is a woman named Beth McCaw who formerly ran the Washington Women's Foundation. And I heard her give a speech many years ago now at a a training event where she talked about the different buckets. So I want to give credit to her for being the first person to introduce me to these ideas and apologize since it was many years ago. I'm probably getting some of the details wrong, but hopefully the general just correctly. Speaks to what a great teacher Beth is because we're still remembering in general what she taught. So what did she share? So she had us think about the different buckets um, that you could organize donors into, and each bucket represents a different primary reason that a donor may be giving. And of course, donors may be giving for multiple reasons, but you can probably start to think about donors as coming to you from a, a couple different places. Bucket one are donors who give because a friend or family member asks them to. 
Okay. And I, we can all think about our own giving, you know, this is your, your daughter's doing the walkathon at school for some great cause, or your cousin in Iowa is, you know, hoping to raise money to build a new school and asks you to join your compelling reason for giving is the intimate connection that you have with a friend or family member. Absolutely. I think of my neighbor selling us some thin mints. You know, I'm a regular donor to the Down Syndrome Association of Connecticut because my cousin lives in Connecticut and she's involved in that buddy walk. And I've never, you know, I live far away from Connecticut, but I'm a loyal donor because my cousin is so connected to that organization. I mean, we see this often with like table captains at events and and places where we draw in our friends and family. What What's another bucket? Well, I just want to touch base on that bucket. So as an organization, when you learn that Nancy, for example, is giving um, to my organization because her cousin feels strongly about this mission and is raising money as an ambassador for the organization, then as an organization, you're probably going to want to make sure that you're really making a strong connection to Nancy's cousin. Bombarding Nancy with information and appeals and multiple things may not get you much traction because Nancy's affiliation is to that person, not necessarily to your movement. Mm. Um, And so you want to trace back and identify where is the point of connection of shared value and spend your time and energy on building that relationship. Of course, thanking, appreciating, offering the opportunity for Nancy to get more involved. Mm. But you you need to recognize that Nancy is coming to this for a different reason than Nancy's cousin is coming to this. I appreciate that so much because we have such uh, limited resources, both time and money. So rather than just treating all donors with the same verve and vigor that we might, we focus on just the few real champions for our mission. Absolutely. All right. Bucket two often happens called networking, whether it's socially or business. So often associated with events back, back when we used to do more events, you might be giving to a particular cause so that you can go do a fun thing like that auction night is super fun with a great band. Or you want to make a connection with someone at the business luncheon. You know that folks in your industry are going to be there and you need to be there to show up and network. That is a a real reason someone might be giving, totally legitimate. And you'll want to meet, again, those donors where they are and not assume that they have an intimate connection to your mission. I think that's really helpful because it also shows the power of social connection. And I think in that networking, you may identify some of your champions. Absolutely. I think about a colleague that I once uh, invited to be a table captain at a fundraising event related to Brazil. And she invited a neighbor of hers who happened to be an exchange student in Brazil who I didn't know. And through this kind of social connection, the friend became a champion because we we provided that invitation. Perfect. And I bet what you did at the event, which was the key element, is that you didn't just host a networking event. You allowed time for that. If that, if you knew that was going to be important, but you also were really clear about the core beliefs and values of your mission so that the people in the room who were, you know, going to be those big champions could identify and be those champions. Absolutely. So what's next? Then there's the impulsive bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, that's the donation box at the grocery store or the TikTok viral offering a few years ago. I think it was the... ice bucket challenge, right? The, the, like something just captures, it's going to be fun. I'm just, I'm not even thinking about it. I just participate in it. And I I just want to say off the bat, I don't think 
that you should ever count on impulsive givers as a core fundraising strategy. If they happen, that's amazing. And you should be prepared to do good with the money you get from them. And no, it's probably one time only. So the reason it's not a good core fundraising strategy is we can't always predict what will become the viral sensation. We just can't. We can have the best idea and it, and it might not take off. There's a little bit of luck involved and, and good timing and other things in all of these. And so while it is tempting sometimes for a group of people getting together to think about how to raise more money to try to come up with the gimmick thing to do and their examples of it working well, I really encourage us not to see that as our core strategy. Remember what you're trying to do is build a movement full of people who genuinely understand and believe in your mission. And these impulsive opportunities don't give much opportunity for understanding or for making that values connection. So true. I mean, it's you can't really have a strategy based on luck, right? That just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. And the research showed that folks who were participating in the ice bucket challenge, actually on most of them had no clue what they were raising money for. I can't even tell you what they were raising money for. And we're in the business, right? And so, I mean, what that says is there's also lots of research on awareness. So people might say that the ice bucket challenge raised awareness for this cause. And in doing so, more people are going to give to that cause. But that logic model does not hold up. It is not true. Awareness is not enough. We can't even remember what we were raising money for. So it's not a strategy. No. And I think if it, the biggest advice I can give is if you find yourself in the kind of good fortune of a moment of viral, um, impulsive giving, the most important thing you can be thinking about instead of how to keep it going virally is how am I going to find out who in this pool actually does understand what we are doing? Or once they hear about what we're doing, it resonates for them. And how do I spend my time and energy on them? Mm, good point. The, me- the measure of success is not that you got a thousand donations. The measure of success is did you get 10 new, you know, movement builders? What's our next bucket? Well, the next bucket is a really great deep bucket. And those are the donors who are giving to you because they have a values connection to you. They give because the mission matters to them. And I just want to say that as an organization, if it's not obvious yet, these are the donors that you want to focus your extra special time and energy on. So it's less about how much they can give and more about how much they are ingrained in your movement, believers of your movement. These donors become your ambassadors. They become Nancy's cousin (laughs) who's bringing in other people. They become your legacy leaders. They become your movement builders if they're genuinely engaged and they're constantly learning with you. And I think that's a really important piece to how you bring them along as leaders is that you are constantly connecting with them and learning with them, sharing what you know about your mission, sharing what you've tried and maybe hasn't worked and sharing what you've tried and is working. That's really important with this group of people. Mm-hmm, for sure. And these are where everything we stand for, Sarah, comes together, right? Our values, our principles, our strategies, our culture of generosity, eagerly looking up and out at our community to see who might be our values connection. I know that I'm a big supporter of one organization that works internationally. And I remember the day when the executive director called me and said, Nancy, know what we did? We did this great new journalism program that's helping women in Chiapas. And it was so exciting. And the thing that was so exciting to me is she said, we. Mm -hmm. 
I was part of the we. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. huge. Super yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all fine and good. We've got our four buckets just to review. We have our friends and family, networking, social business, those impulsive connections, and then values. How do I know what a donor is? Such a good question. It would be really helpful if they would just submit that with their with their donation. Oh, I know. Do we have a checkbox in the giving form? I am an impulsive donor. You'll never see me again. <laughs> and that would be that would be really really great. Um, but most of the time, that's not being offered proactively. So I'll suggest the alternative, which is you find a way not right after a gift necessarily, but at some point in the year to simply ask your donors. You could do a simple survey. You could maybe ask a board member to call and just, again, not ask someone for money, but thank them and just try to find out the story. I'm sure if someone had called you, Nancy, from Connecticut and asked about your gifts because you're from Washington, like that's unusual. You know, what's the story? Mm -hmm. And the board member would have picked up on, okay, I need to spend time with Nancy's cousin because she's a great ambassador. So it's the key in how you ask these questions is to make it okay for someone to be in any bucket. There's no judgment on these buckets. It's okay. You're just trying to sort out the taxonomy so you know where to spend your time and organizational resources. And so you don't want to ask too blatantly. You want to be graceful, but you want to use the questions that you ask as a way to express your values and give them the opportunity to express theirs. So that if Nancy's reply is, well, honestly, I do this because I love my cousin and I know this is important to her, then, you know, my answer back is not, well, here are the 42 reasons why you should like my organization. <laughs> my answer back is, wow, that's really deeply meaningful. And I am I am so grateful that you have that connection to your cousin. And I'm going to call your cousin and thank her for sharing her love with the people who are important to her. That's such great advice. But so Sarah, you're having all these conversations. What do you, like, what is your system? Like, how do you manage this data? I mean, do you, do you have a little you know, checkbox in your database that Nancy has a cousin in Connecticut or how does that work? Yeah. I mean, ideally, yes, you'd you'd be able to come up with some system that works for you. You know, maybe you color code, uh, you know, depends on how your database works, but you could say that this is a donor we should spend time with because their values match. And again, I really think that that filter is way more important than their capacity to give is the values match because you're building a movement, right? And then, oh, this is a donor who we should remember likes networking opportunities, right? Or this is a donor who has a friend family connection. I need to not bother them all the time. And every time I do bother them, I need to mention the name of the person. Oh, that's good advice. That is their connector, right? And I need to know what that is. And then these are the impulsive givers. Honestly, they can just kind of float on your mainline communications highway. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to give the special attention there because the return on those is, is probably not going to be long, long. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there, yes, if you're, and again, you know, one of the beautiful things about small nonprofits is that we don't have databases of 40,000 people. <laughs> we have generally smaller databases, mostly filled with names of people we we at least have the opportunity to get to know. So it's a long-term project. This isn't solved in a week, but you build your system and you do it. Now the other way you can get at this if you maybe have more than more donors than you can actually have personal interaction or ask questions of. The other thing you can do is you can just look at the giving data you have and you can see who gives only at certain times or only in response to specific things. So if, for example, you have donors who only give at the annual 
networking luncheon that you do. They never give to anything else. They've never come to anything else, right? If you've got good records, then okay, you, you could fairly code them as donors who are you know most likely to respond to the social networking opportunities and no need to spend a whole bunch of extra time on them. That's good. You're not going to be right all the time, but you're going to be right 80% of the time. And you can triage then accordingly. It's a great idea. And it brings us to our next idea, really. And that is to offer multiple ways to engage. So if you only do a direct appeal, then you're not going to be able to find the nuance, right? You're going to have only one way to engage. Yep. But if you offer multiple ways to engage, then you're more likely to catch more people. So, I mean, I think of this, this nonprofit that I'm involved in related to Mexico, they have cultural events in Spanish, and that invites an entirely different group of people. It invites folks who've lived in Mexico, it invites people who were born in Mexico. I mean, a whole different crowd shows up at those events. And it it offers just another doorway into the work of the organization and to their, you know, folks who can support them financially. Well, and I think I think that's really important as you're building your fundraising strategy. I mean, I actually sit down at the beginning of the year and I look at the different ways we're going to invite people to, to express they want to give. And I think to myself, do I have something for every every type of donor? I mean, there are some donors who who really like the thrill and excitement of an auction, you know, and that interchange. And if I don't offer that, I'm missing and giving them an opportunity to also express that they care about my cause. So, yeah, I actually think an annual review of just like, do we offer all the outlets that might reach all of these people, maybe with the exception of the impulsive group, Um, you know? Or, or how can you manage that, at least in a, a small amount of your time allocation? So you're talking about having a fundraising strategy, strategy, strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. Important in that strategy is also talking about values and priorities as an organization. We've had a whole separate episode where we've talked about how we cannot assume that people understand our values and principles. And so as we go about doing these donor appeals or these donor events, donors activity, donor related activities, we can't assume that everybody there knows why we're doing what we're doing. So we have to build that fundraising strategy. We have to have our mission and purpose at the center of our sun, so to speak, and all of these lines, these rays coming off, such as the programs you're talking about. Any other ideas for understanding our donors' whys or well, like, you know, it's also always good to start within. So making sure you your board understands their whys so that they can articulate those really clearly. And hopefully your board has a lot of folks on it who share the values and, and the priorities of the organization and giving them clear talking points so that they can be good ambassadors of why I think is really important too. I think that, you know, I now am remembering a conversation I had with a board chair about the organization. And I asked the simple question of what drew you to this mission? And the board chair kind of fumbled. They, oh, well, I mean, I mean, doesn't everybody care about whatever? And I'm like, but why do you care? Right. And I thought, well, that's so telling that the board chair didn't know his why. Mm-hmm. So what, what's our word of the week? Well, no big surprise, Nancy. I think the word of the week is why. Oh, why is that, Sarah? <laughs> so I don't know about you, Nancy, but my amazing daughter, who is now grown when she was like, I think three or four, definitely had this why phase where any anything I said was followed by why. And I had to 
you know, remember as an adult (laughs) that that came from a place of her developmentally just wanting to understand that everything was new and she was trying to make sense of the world, right? And that wonder and curiosity and that desire to make sense of things and therefore be able to act in ways that feel good and meaningful, that should be at the heart of why we're asking why to our donors. And we should be curious. We should be not judgmental about why they're coming to us. Again, ethical questions deeply aside, assuming good ethics. And we should be, we should be wanting to engage in a conversation with them so that the actions we take match what they want and expect from us. I love that notion of real authentic curiosity. I think the whole world would be a better place if we if we engaged in that. You know, why is so core? I think of it as like a tree trunk. It's the anchor that holds up the rest of the tree. We've talked in previous episodes about the why, what, how kind of progression. And each of those words is so different. And it's so important to start with that core why. So then you can go on to the the what and how. Absolutely. So I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are starting well in their way to implementing their 2022 fundraising strategies. And we just encourage you to make sure you take a moment to pause to ask why and specifically ask, do I in this strategy have ways to understand my donors' whys and am I responding appropriately to those whys? Make sure you have good ways to help understand the very valid and different reasons people may be giving to you and that you're then prioritizing your precious organizational time on those people who share your values and believe most in your mission. Once you can identify the donors who want to help you build a movement, you will be on your way. You've got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mepp Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. 